five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Q Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Don't Let Go Canada Coalition. For 60 years, Canada has been a space leader. We help build the International Space Station and land astronauts on the moon. Back on Earth, we leverage our space capabilities every day to push boundaries in medicine, communications, and environmental monitoring. The clear vision and commitment of previous governments helped drive this forward, but now our country faces a decision point and we need to act. Please visit don'tletgocanada.ca and join the campaign to help us keep innovation, jobs, and our best and brightest in Canada. The universe needs more Canada. Don't let go, Canada. The topic of today's SpaceQ podcast is the NASA-led OSIRIS-REx mission with its ongoing multi-year mission to rendezvous, examine, and sample asteroid Bennu. The acronym OSIRIS-REx stands for the Origins, Spectral Interpretation, Resource Identification, Security Regolith, Explorer Mission. The OSIRIS-REx spacecraft launched on September 8th 2016. Canada is participating in the mission by providing the OSIRIS-REx Laser Altimeter, or OLA, which will create a 3D map of asteroid Bennu's shape, along with helping with navigation. The mission will continue until March 2021, when the spacecraft will return to the Earth, arriving two and a half years later in September 2023. At that point, the sample return capsule will re-enter the Earth's atmosphere and land in Utah, where it will be collected and analyzed by researchers, including those in Canada. The official rendezvous occurred on December the 3rd. Leading up to the rendezvous, several instruments on the spacecraft have already been analyzing the asteroid. Today's episode has two segments. In the first, I speak with Dr. Michael Daly, a professor at York University who is the principal investigator of the Canadian science team. The second segment features the results as discussed on Monday, December the 10th at the fall meeting of the American Geophysical Union. Welcome, Mike, to the SpaceQ podcast. Thank you. So, officially, the OSIRIS-REx spacecraft arrived at asteroid Bennu on December the 3rd, though several instruments have been examining the asteroid for several months leading up to the rendezvous. Before we talk about this week's science results, which were announced at the American Geophysical Union fall meeting, let's focus on Canada's contribution, the OSIRIS-REx laser altimeter instrument. Um, The last time we talked was about a year ago. Um, Fill in the blanks of what you've been doing in that time, and in particular, what's happened the the last few months and and how OLA has been uh, performing. Sure. Well, as you know, the OSIRIS-REx laser altimeter is a really unique instrument, so we're really proud to have been able to put it on this mission from a Canadian perspective. It's the first scanning laser altimeter, and it was launched along with the spacecraft uh, in 2016. So in the last, since the launch, we've been 
doing the some uh, checkouts of the instrument to make sure it was working and alive. Uh, unlike some of the instruments, like the cameras and the uh, spectrometers, uh, Ola is a little bit of a challenge to check out from a from a uh, prior to asteroid arrival point of view because we we have nothing to reflect off of. So the cameras and the spectrometers, you know, they've been looking at you know the Earth during the the Earth flyby and the Moon and stars and and they've had good confidence for a long time before we started getting closer to Bennu that the their instruments worked. Uh, likewise, the spectrometers can do the same thing. Ola needs to be, you know, within seven plus kilometers of something to reflect off of to be sure that we're actually getting an end-to-end check out of our instrument. We're actually man- managing to measure what we expect to measure. So that hasn't occurred until um, just this past week. So really, the the our progress over the last couple of years was turning the instrument on, making sure the lasers were firing, watching the mirror move, but then having this uh, sense that, you know, things could still be wrong and we might get the Bennu and we might not actually measure anything. Uh, so I'm happy to report that that's not the case and we are able to measure. So it's been a good week for us. And you've been able to measure. So what is next on your task list? Well, the mission progresses in a series of phases, and we have different objectives in each phase. So this first phase, it's called the preliminary survey phase. Uh, it's really a couple of, of close-in flybys of the asteroid. Um, we have sort of three north polar passes, one equatorial pass, and one south pole pass. So we've uh, conducted the two North Polar Passes already. Um, sorry, there's three, two of which Ola is measuring on. Uh, and the Equatorial Pass um, is the first. That pass has just been conducted this morning, and we have no idea what happened yet from an instrument perspective because we probably won't get the data till tomorrow. Um, so we have had the two North Polar Passes, and and we got good data from both of them. The data in this phase were uh, at the edge of our ability to measure to the asteroid. Uh, So we've got some couple of thousand points uh, from each pass, which represent measurements to the surface of the asteroid. And our job was really uh, twofold in this phase. One was to check the other means of getting a shape model, you know, essentially a globe of the asteroid. The shape of the asteroid is very important from a science perspective. It's also important from a navigational perspective. So we wanted to check the camera-based ways to make sure that they were the right scale because there's some, um, some of that data is inferred and our direct measurements are, are they're more direct and, and, you know, we have more confidence in, in those particular measurements. So we've been, we've been registering those with the other shape model, essentially taking individual positions on the, the globe of Bennu and making sure that the data correlates and that the current shape, as we understand Bennu, it's the right shape and size and that there are no um, regional differences that could be significant to progressing to our our next phases of the mission as we move closer in. So in uh, March, we start to get 
uh, data again at a closer phase. We might get a little really close in at that, uh, still to be determined that might be more on the order of one and a half kilometers from the asteroid. And then we have a long campaign where we're three to five kilometers from the asteroid rather than the, the seven and a half that we were doing the, the, uh, the current phase. So that'll be large, very detailed uh, maps of the asteroid that are OLA specific or, or you know, that, that OLA represents a complete data set for, and, and we're looking forward to that. Um, and then later on in the summer, we progress even closer and we get much higher density data. So really at this phase, we've just had a, a taste. We know the instrument is, is working and producing data. Uh, it's producing high quality data. We've been able to um, show that the, the globe of the asteroid that the mission is currently working on is, is quite well done already. The navigation team has been using our data to show that their predictions of where the spacecraft is relative to Bennu are, are very high quality and they've done an excellent job. And so we're really happy with how we're currently contributing. We're also waiting to get to the phases where our contributions will be even greater. And how long before you get close enough to the asteroid to determine where you're going to go and get a sample from? So that's going to be a, a, a long process, and, and there's not one date. Um, it's going to be a bit of a – we already have images that you know show us where we can't go. Um, we still have fairly low-resolution data. Right now, the data from the images – you know, every pixel in that data is about the scale of the sampling device head. So uh, we really need to, to know things at a scale that, you know, are more than an order of magnitude better than that before we can really um, select the location. We also need more fine scale measurements from uh, the spectrometers to help understand really where the whether there's a reason to choose one place or the other from a science perspective. So it's a big balance between where can the sampling head safely sample and where can we navigate to from the spacecraft. Um, some, you know, there's some uh, margin that needs to be held about where that touch point could actually be. So we can't just pick a 30 centimeter space. We have to pick something that's, you know, some, 10 to tens of meters across because, you know, navigating the spacecraft down to the surface will come with some uncertainty. So we have to make sure that the area that we could touch um, is safe and sampleable. I would say that the, the data we got and some of the data that was shown uh, in, in the press conference that I think you're going to uh, play later shows that the, there's a significant differentiation in the in the geology and, and the mineralogy on this asteroid and that there may be some reasons why we might want to select different regions than others from a science from a sampling perspective that's going to be you know it's going to be a long time before we're we're ready to 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 pick the site with many pieces of data and many trade-offs that will have to occur um, so we're really talking about, you know, late in 2019 um, before we're able to say 
where we're we're likely to go. I think you know more like in the summer we'll we'll have a good idea, but the final selection will be more like the end of 2019. Right. And so uh, my last question is. Um, uh, they had their first uh, science results presented this week at the uh, AGU meeting. Uh, and one of the things that they announced was that uh, the presence of water on the asteroid uh, or in the asteroid. Um, what can you, was this expected? And what can you briefly tell me about this? Yeah, I would say it was, it was hoped for, uh, as much as expected so it's important to understand what was actually found and that's not you know there's not liquid water roving about on the surface of this asteroid there's bound water so you know it's what we found was the spectral signature of hydrated minerals um so that's those are minerals that have you know interacted and taken up and bound water to them in, in the past uh so what we what we have found is that the the mineralogy on Bennu um, was formed through interactions of of water in the past, and that's exciting from a from the perspective of both the what we expected to see on Bennu from a science perspective. Why we chose Bennu? It has implications to the Osiris-Rex goal of origins. It has implications to the Osiris-Rex goal of resource uh, inspection because water, whether it's hydrated or not, represents a resource that could be potentially mined and you could make fuel for further exploration of the solar system. So we're, so I, I think we lightly expected it or likely hoped for it and we're very pleased to have seen it. And it's probably too early to say how much of the asteroid's composition would have water in it. It's it's too much. We're still trying to figure out uh, what's going on with this very interesting body. Uh, there are a lot of interesting science questions other than the, the, the hydration that that right. we're looking at here. Um, you know, Bennu is. It seems like it should be very easy to understand. It's a fairly small, 500 meter-ish diameter object, but there's a lot of complicated structure. Um, there's a lot of things we don't understand and. We're really going to spend much of 2019 trying to understand it a little better. Well, it sounds pretty exciting. Um, we're going to have to get you back on the show once uh, more results come in and, and, and we can talk about uh, how the, the mission is progressing. So thanks again, Mike, for, for being my guest. No problem. Thanks for asking me. The New Frontiers program is one component of NASA's planetary mission fleet. These missions uh, range from all stages of development. Some of them are just being developed. Others are in primary operations like OSIRIS-REx, and, and others um, have completed, like the Dawn mission um, uh, and um, a few others. And they span the whole solar system. These missions are, are, are NASA-run, and many of them have international partners, and a few of them shown here are international missions that NASA participates in. You may notice that there's a, many of these missions, if you recognize them, are going to the small bodies in our solar system. 
Small bodies, rather than planets or their large moons, small bodies uh, are, are bodies that range in size from only a few meters across to hundreds of kilometers, like the largest asteroids. The one that OSIRIS-REx is going to, asteroid Bennu, is about 500 meters across, which is about three city blocks in diameter. These bodies are mostly fairly primitive bodies. They never manage to form into large planets, and they tell us many things about the early solar system and other things uh, about our solar system. The small bodies missions are spanning our solar system, exploring it from one end to the other, uh, from out at Ultima Thule, where New Horizons is in the Kuiper Belt, which is about 40 times as far from the sun as the Earth is, to Juno, uh, to Lucy, which will be in the looking at small bodies that share Jupiter's orbit uh, when it goes out there in the next decade, to a few missions in the main belt of asteroids, including the completed Dawn mission and the upcoming Psyche mission, and several missions that are studying objects in the inner solar system, like OSIRIS-REx. And the great thing about studying an inner solar system, a near-Earth asteroid, uh, like Bennu, is that it's accessible, and that enables OSIRIS-REx to do something great, which is to bring a sample back to Earth. The topics that these, these the pro, there are many problems that these missions are attempting to solve. Um, these range from how our solar system formed, to how the solar system got to be the way it is, to what the properties of the, and processes in the solar system are now, to the hazards and resources that asteroids pose to Earth or provide to uh, explorers. And critically for OSIRIS-REx, one of the things we hope to learn is about the inventory of volatile elements and organic matter that may be present in the solar system. And OSIRIS-REx, uh, as you can see on this chart, uh, is, is, has a lot of its uh, potential to answer questions in, the, in questions like that. And I think what we now know and what we'll hear in this press conference is that we've gone to the right place to answer these questions and that Bennu is proving to be just the asteroid we hoped it would be, and now we'll find out why. Thank you, Jeff. Can I have that? Thank you. So I'm Dante Loretta, professor of planetary science at the University of Arizona and the principal investigator for the OSIRIS-REx mission and also very excited to be here today. So thank you for this opportunity. Uh, so we are here. We have arrived at Bennu. Arrival was officially December 3rd of 2018, and that was a morning I woke up and saw an event on my calendar that I put there a decade ago. So it was truly a great day for us. And uh, a lot of the uncertainty has been removed about this mission, right? When one of the things that's characteristic of OSIRIS-REx is that we're going to a target that we've only seen through our telescopes. And we're using that telescopic knowledge to design the mission and understand the risk posture. But really, we were going to a new world, and we were going to reveal that world and then assess in this early campaign of the mission the challenges that lie ahead. So here you can see, uh, so far, the best resolution image of the asteroid that we've obtained so far. This was right before the arrival on December 2nd, when we were using our Polycam high-resolution imager that was uh, built at the University of Arizona to get 33 centimeter per pixel images. And then this is a, a multi-image mosaic that's stitched together to show the overall asteroid texture. 
And there's a, a couple really interesting features here. Uh, we'll hear more about the shape when uh, Mike Nolan gets up and talks to us, but we did uh, relatively accurately predict the shape of the object. We are looking at a bouldery surface. Remembering that this is a sample return mission, we are going to have to send our spacecraft down to make a brief uh, five-second touch-and-go contact with the asteroid to collect material on the order of centimeter-sized uh, particles. We are seeing some basins or depressions, and we're discussing uh, the nature of those and the origin of those. Some of those look like traditional impact craters. Others may be expressions of the interior structure or the evolution of the asteroid. So there's a lot of excitement here, and I just want to emphasize these are really early days in the mission. This is kind of our first look at the asteroid, and we have a long time to explore this and make the critical operational decisions about where to go on the asteroid surface to get that sample. So the good news is uh, when, when you're working with NASA on a mission like this, you like to have very clear and well-defined mission success criteria, and we made sure that there would be no doubt on, as to whether or not OSIRIS-REx was a success. And we're proud to announce today that the first mission success criterion has been achieved. We have rendezvoused with asteroid Bennu, and we have begun our exploration of this fascinating small world. Uh, the next one is probably the grand challenge of the mission, which is to contact the surface of the asteroid and collect that sample. And then, of course, the mission culminates in 2023 with the safe return of that material to Earth, ultimate delivery to the NASA Johnson Space Center and to the Astromaterials Curation Facility, where it will then become available worldwide to researchers across the planet. We have a phenomenal payload suite. Our scientific instruments are truly world-class. In addition to the camera system that was provided by the University of Arizona, I showed you the polycam imagery from right at the end of our approach phase. We also have MapCam data and SAMCAM. Uh, MapCam is our global mapper, and it has the color filters, and we'll be showing some color imaging data. And then SAMCAM is there to document the sample collection activity. The Goddard Space Flight Center, and my colleague, uh, Dr. Amy Simon, is the instrument, deputy instrument scientist for the visible and infrared spectrometer. And uh, we'll be hearing some more information about what that instrument has detected. Uh, the Arizona State University provided the OSIRIS-REx thermal emission spectrometer, the OTIS instrument, which is right here. And our Canadian Space Agency partners provided the OSIRIS-REx laser altimeter, which did just get its first data a few days ago when we were entered preliminary survey and started our North Polar Pass. And we're still actually assessing the nature of that information and processing that. And then we're also really proud to fly a student collaboration experiment. That's the regolith X-ray imaging spectrometer, the Rexus instrument from students at MIT and Harvard University to look at X-ray fluorescence from the surface and tell us about the elements that are there. And they're also still in checkout and calibration phase, and we don't have any information about the nature of the asteroid from them yet. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Dr. Simon to tell us about the spectral analysis results from the mission. Okay, so as Dante said, we're all extremely excited to be here and to finally be at the asteroid. And I'm representing the two spectrometer instruments today. And so that's OVIRS, the visible and infrared spectrometer, and OTAS, the thermal emission spectrometer. And the thing to remember about both of these instruments is that they're not imagers. They're point spectrometers. So whatever spot we're looking at on the surface, we're seeing that we're not making an image, we're seeing the spectrum of everything in that spot at the same time. And so we started our observations on approach to the asteroid on November 2nd, so about 200 kilometers away is when we got our first look at the asteroid. So for Oviers, 
this is what we saw. We have this beautiful spectrum, and you can see that the asteroid does not fill our field of view. It only filled about 45% of the field of view, actually. And so we were seeing the entire surface on that side of the asteroid plus dark space around it all at the same time. And even so, we were able to make our first detection of a real spectral signature that relates to the asteroid surface, and that's the feature you see here at 2.7 microns. And if you're wondering what that feature is, it's one of the things we were hoping to find. So we're super excited and happy to say that we saw the evidence of hydrated minerals on the surface of Bennu. We saw this in every single one of the spectra we have taken to date. And so that means we're seeing this widespread hydrated minerals throughout the surface, uh, which is really great news. It's very similar to what we see in meteorites that have been analyzed here on Earth in the laboratory. And once we got a little bit closer, we were able to use OTAS, which has a bigger field of view, and also get a strong signal. And again, they also see evidence of hydrated minerals on the surface. So this is both spectrometers working in concert to confirm what each other is seeing, and we're seeing great matches with some of the meteorites. And so why is this important? And that's because to get hydrated minerals in the first place, to get clays, you have to have water interacting with regular minerals. Once you've made the clays, they can actually bond and store some of that water in there and make it water bearing. So these hydrated minerals have evidence of liquid water in Bennu's past. So this is really big news, and this is, this is a great surprise. So with that, I'm going to pass it over to Mike Nolan to talk about the uh, shape model. All right, so uh, I'm Mike Nolan. I'm the science team chief, and I'm at the University of Arizona. And I'm so I'm conducted the shape model. So uh, in 1999, almost 20 years ago, I was a junior scientist at the Arecibo Observatory in Arecibo, Puerto Rico, working at this uh, very large telescope. And uh, one, of the, uh, that was, uh, one of the ideas that we had going into this was that we might be able to make observations that would someday be used in planning space missions. And so uh, here's the data I took on the left of the actual radar image data from Arecibo. You can see they're noisy and speckly, but, uh, but Bennu was 3 million kilometers away, so that's, that's still pretty good. And from that, we made, uh, the, the, using a computer model, we made the shape model uh, on the right, which you can see up here on the table, too. Uh, we, we made the shape model. It's sort of a lumpy, round thing. And uh, let's see if we can get that play again. Um, uh, we did see one sort of obvious boulder feature and said that we thought that was probably 10 or 20 meters across. And, uh, but, and we couldn't really see any below that. The, the, the size of our pixels here is about 15 meters. Uh, but So we knew there was one big one, and, the, and we, we got an overall shape. And people always ask me, how much do you believe this shape? And I said, well, I believe that boulder's there. I think the, the size is about right. Some of those little wiggly details I'm not so sure about. So now, then we got um, our ground-based model. Uh, so uh, on, the, on the right is the, the model that I just showed you that we made, and on the left is the actual imagery that we got. And uh, so as far as I can tell, every single one of these little features on here has some meaningful signature on the asteroid. Um, the model works remarkably well. There's, it's missing some of the surface detail because it was, it was a little coarser than, th th than, of course, we would have liked. You'd always like to do better. But everything in this model is in, you can see in the fixture. So there's, there's our little bump, and there's a, there's a boulder. Even this smaller boulder is, is revealed there. This little uh, valley, you can see in the images. So it worked remarkably well, which is important because we made a lot of our decisions about how to go forward with this mission based on this model. And so the fact, and people say, are you sure? I said, 
I'm as sure as I can be. I'm, uh, let's go do it. And we, we went and did it. And uh, yep, it, it really worked. So now we have, a, of course, now that we're there, we're using images to make a new shape model. And so on the, on the right, you can see the new shape model of, of Venu made from those images on the left. And so it's got a lot more detail. It's a little more, I, we have the models here. You can see that the real asteroid is a little more squashed, perhaps, than the model we made. And in fact, that was the one thing I said that really might be true. When you look at what radar can do, it might be a little different. But it worked remarkably well, and what that means is that all, pretty much all of those decisions we made about how to go forward are really going to be, um, we're accurate enough that we can really use them and say, yes, we can, uh, that, that's really what Bennu looks like, and now let's go get our sample. Thank you. Um, so before I go on, let me just say that this, the findings that Amy talked about are really, really exciting for us. I mean, we targeted Bennu precisely because we thought it had water-bearing minerals and by analogy with the carbonaceous chondrate meteorites that we've been studying, organic material. That still remains to be seen. We have not detected the organics, but it definitely looks like we've gone to the right place. Uh, both the Ovier's instrument with the detection of the 2.7 micron feature and the Otis instrument with the spectral matches to the CI and CM carbonaceous chondrites really is exciting. I mean, I, I know when Amy uh, and Dr. Vicki Hamilton, who leads the spectral analysis working group, first called me with the 2.7 micron results, we were so excited and it just was uh, everything we'd hoped had come to pass. Very early in the mission, we had found out that in fact, Bennu is going to be able to provide the type of material that we want to return and get back into our laboratories to answer these fundamental questions about whether these carbonaceous asteroids might have delivered these compounds to the surface of the early Earth and led to habitability and maybe even the origin of life. So let me go over a couple other results. I talked about the map cam. That's the color imager. It has four different uh, bandpass filters in the red, green, blue, and infrared. And when we're looking at Bennu, one of the other things that struck us early on when some of the images were coming in from Polycam, like the one that we see over here on the right, these are at really low phase angles, which basically means that the sun was kind of right behind us, so there's very little shadows. And all of those color variations or contrast variations that you see on the surface are real. So we're seeing a lot of different kinds of reflectivity in the surface material probably related to the composition. So we are seeing a fair bit of compositional diversity, which wasn't something necessarily that we would have predicted or expected from the ground-based data. In fact, as we had watched Bennu rotate in various telescopes and, and with spectrometers attached to them, we didn't see a lot of spectral variation or even reflectance variation. So to see this wide range of reflectance properties is really surprising. And we see it in the color. So over there on the left is a MapCam red-green-blue color composite image you can see the dark spots showing up really nicely. Bennu is bluish. We had thought that from the beginning. It's a B-type asteroid, and that means it reflects more blue light than red light, and we are seeing that color variation that we expected showing up in the, the ratios. And there'll be more information about the Im implications of the color variations during our presentations tomorrow morning. We also care a lot about the thermal properties of the asteroid. So we tied, Mike mentioned, you know, thinking about planning a spacecraft mission based on his data processing. Well, a lot of the safety of the spacecraft and how we designed the spacecraft was based on that information. And we took his shape model along with observations made by the Spitzer Space Telescope and came up with what we thought the thermal profile would be of the asteroid. And then you design the spacecraft hardware to be able to survive those thermal regimes, particularly during the sample acquisition event. And the, what the graphs over there on the right show is the Ovier's data 
uh, at four microns, so out in the infrared part of that instrument's capabilities, compared to what we predicted the uh, thermal flux or the infrared radiation coming off the surface of the asteroid would be based on the ground-based shape model. And then you see the similar kind of plot down below. This is the OTES 14 micron channel, so farther out into the mid-infrared, where you're really getting a lot of the thermal emission or heat flux off the surface of the asteroid. Those are the blue uh, circles compared to the prediction using the asteroid shape model uh, in the red curve. So the good news is, again, the shape model, uh, Mike and his team at Arecibo and, and also using Goldstone Planetary Radar System in California really nailed it. So it, the planning that we did, the design of the spacecraft, the observation profile, they're all spot on. We are ready to go. There is nothing about this asteroid that is going to prevent us moving forward into the intensive science mapping campaign that we have planned for 2019. And then I just want to highlight a couple of the really interesting geologic features. So I would say, Mike, the one thing uh, was that 10-meter size boulder turned out to be substantially larger on the order of 50 meters. Uh, and there's a, a fair number of 10-meter size boulders. And the boulder geology is fascinating. I definitely can't go into all of it here. This is one area that uh, we're, it looks like it's a disaggregated uh, Breccia, and that's something I'll talk about during my presentation tomorrow. But we're looking at a wide variety of the reflectance variations, even as we get down into the tens of centimeter scales. We're seeing clasts or rocks that look very bright, connected to some that are very dark. And then when we look at a feature like this, they look like they're maybe falling apart due to some kind of thermal stresses or fracturing or weathering pattern. We do see rocks that appear to be outcrops, that they're some just tip of the iceberg reflection of something that appears to extend much deeper down into the interior of the asteroid, like this feature here. And it's got a lot of linear features associated with it, which also may do to thermal stressing and fracturing on the asteroid surface. And then we also see these perched boulders. There's some that, like especially the big one that, that we even saw in the ground-based radar data and, and several others that are 10 meters or larger, 10 to 50 meter size range. And they appear to just be resting right on top of the asteroid surface like they fell back on or something weathered around them and left them exposed. So the bottom line is this is an interesting world from a geologic perspective. There's a lot going on here in terms of processes on the surface of the asteroid, modification of the material. And that's something we want to get a good handle on because as we're going through our sample site selection process, we want to understand where do we have the best opportunity to get this most primitive, oldest material from the dawn of the solar system? And where might we get material that would tell us about the geology of the asteroid and the processing that happens on the surfaces of the asteroid? In, in the best world, we would get uh, both kinds of material or multiple kinds of material depending on what we see on the surface of this asteroid. And then we were starting to look at where we might be able to go get a sample. I know it's very early days here, but as the PI of the mission, I have to think about that second mission success criteria, safely contact the asteroid sample, uh, asteroid surface and collect a sample. And it's a little early, but we are seeing these basins and possible impact craters. This one here, it's over here on the left of the image, is about 20 meters in diameter, which is of order of our navigation uh, capability in terms of accurate targeting a location on the asteroid surface. And we are seeing the finest grain material seeming to accumulate in these low basins here. We haven't mapped the entire asteroid surface yet. We've only been at this for a week, and our team is going through this in a very systematic manner. And this is just the preliminary survey data. When we get to the detailed survey next year, 
when we're in our site selection campaign, we're gonna get about a factor of six to seven times better resolution. So right now we're at 33 centimeters per pixel. When we do the global mapping campaign, what we call our baseball diamond, which refers to the different look angles so we can get stereo imaging and different shadowing features, we'll be getting down to five centimeter per pixel resolution. And then once we've got regions of interest selected on the asteroid surface and we get into this reconnaissance phase, we'll be doing low altitude flyovers of potential sample sites, and we'll be getting sub-centimeter per pixel resolution of these uh, regions of interest in potential sample sites. So we are going to take our time. Right now, we're still in the navigation campaign of the mission, which means we're learning to fly. Uh, one of the big challenges of OSIRIS-REx is accurate navigation of the spacecraft in this microgravity environment. It's more akin to docking than it is to landing when we go in to get that sample. So a lot of the expertise from NASA and from our partners at Lockheed Martin that relate to space situational awareness or rendezvous with a, a, a target in Earth orbit like the International Space Station come into play with OSIRIS-REx. So we want to take our time and make sure that we know how to fly, and that's what the navigation campaign is about. We're getting quick early look data in preliminary survey. We're planning an orbital insertion in orbit A, and we actually do have an estimate on the mass, and I'll be talking about that in the presentation tomorrow as well as our radio science team and, and Dan Shear's presentation. But in, in orbit, and that'll be a, a record for the smallest object ever orbited by a spacecraft, uh, we'll really transition over to what we call landmark tracking optical navigation, where we look at features on the surface of the asteroid and use that to determine the spacecraft position. So it really won't be till the end of February where the science campaign, what we call the site selection campaign of the mission starts, and the science team is kind of in charge of where the spacecraft is pointing and the data that we're collecting, processing all of that information. And once even we have a site, which we anticipate by the end of 2019, we're going to spend about six months designing the descent down to the asteroid surface and rehearsing various approaches to make sure we do it in a safe and systematic manner so that we go and get that sample approximately July of 2020. Uh, we're confident in mission success. One of the other things we did along those lines in terms of our readiness for TAG or the touch-and-go sample acquisition event is to uh, extend the robotic arm. That's called TAG-SAM, the touch-and-go sample acquisition mechanism that was provided by our team members at Lockheed Martin. And we got it out in front of the SAM cam, and the image that you see over here on the right is an in-flight image. One of my favorite images because you can actually see sunlight passing through the filter screen. This is basically an air filter, and I call TAG-SAM a space vacuum cleaner. We're actually going to blow high-purity nitrogen down into the regolith of the asteroid and push it up into this filter. And the fact that we can see the shadow of the filter screen on the inner portion of the TAG-SAM uh, makes me look forward to that day in 2020 when we take the same image after the sample acquisition event and we can see outlines of grains there. So fingers crossed, uh, after sample acquisition, these images from SAMCAM will help us verify uh, successful sampling and then we can start thinking about stowing that in the sample return capsule and bringing it back to Earth, which will occur in September of 2023. So this is kind of our report card. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the name OSIRIS-REx, as I like to say, is an awesome acronym that uh, describes the scientific objectives of the mission. So the first one, origins. We looks like we've got to the target that is like our most volatile and organic-rich carbonaceous meteorites. From the spectral interpretation, we thought there would be clay minerals on the surface of this asteroid, and as uh, Amy said, that we have found both in Ovir's and Otis data strong, convincing evidence that the surface is dominated by these clay minerals. 
From the resource identification and kind of the feed forward to asteroid mining, Bennu appears to be a very water-rich target, and water is the most uh, interesting and possibly lucrative uh, commodity that you would mine from an asteroid so you could process it into rocket fuel in situ in space. And from security, which relates to the fact that Bennu is a potentially hazardous asteroid with a non-negligible probability of impacting the Earth well into the 22nd century, we have already, from our initial preliminary survey flybys, characterized the mass. Combining that with the shape model, we have a constraint on the asteroid density. And then the orbit of the asteroid and folding all of that information into predicting the likelihood of an Earth impact, that's still work to go as we move forward. I would say the one area that we were surprised by the asteroid and where the challenge ahead lies is that we were working towards one boulder on the order of 10 meters. We've got hundreds of boulders on the order of 10 meters. Uh, the average grain size was predicted to be on the centimeter size scale. That's still to be determined as we get into the higher uh, resolution imaging campaigns. But certainly, it's a little more rugged of an environment than we had expected based on our mission planning and the ground-based observational data analysis. So I will leave you there with this portrait of asteroid Bennu, and I think we're uh, ready to, to move on. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube podcast. If you like this show, please support us on Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash We really appreciate feedback, and to help us, we ask you consider to write a review on Apple Podcast or Google Play Music if you're so inclined. If you have any comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca where you'll find an archive of each episode. If you send me a comment by email, I'll write back to you as soon as I can. On Twitter, you can follow us at Canada in Space. And if you use Facebook, you can find all our articles and links to the podcast on our page, The Space Q. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app.